0: The Game Podcast is proudly sponsored by StarCityGames.com. SCG Cincinnati is all about modern this weekend with modern tournaments on both days and a standard classic on Sunday. Don't forget to check out the newly announced SCG Tour schedule for the entire first half of 2018. Each weekday you can learn from the best on SCG Premium with new articles from some of the best in the world, including yours truly. Welcome to the 50th episode of The Game Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Thompson. Here with me is Brian Gottlieb. Uh, I just got back from Nationals. Brian was busy uh, slogging away in a Moto PTQ with his favorite
1: deck in the format. You really have to rub it in like that right off the bat? Uh, Yeah. I make one bad decision and we have to talk about it to start the show. Wow.
0: Yo, I don't think it was a bad choice, so explain.
1: Uh, Okay, so I, I played Approach in the Moto PTQ approaches a deck that we've talked about a good amount on the show as kind of being uh, not something we consider um, a fundamentally good strategy. And I still feel that way. But if any of our listeners have been spending time on Moto lately, they know how prevalent the tokens decks are. Um, I felt like I had tuned my list to beat tokens very well. Uh, I also had a very nice plan for kind of the blue-black mirror, or not mirror, the blue-black matchup. So I felt comfortable and I thought that would be a large portion of the metagame and the sacrifices I made in deck building were to kind of leave myself pretty close to dead against Mono Red. I played Mono Red three times and the first, second and third place list in the Moto PTQ were Mono Red. So maybe not the best metagame call I've ever made. What what the hell happened? How is Monterey crushing this tournament? I can't answer that. I I honestly don't know. It still doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, I guess if everyone did what I did, then it makes a lot of sense. But I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, Teamers absent from the top eight of this metagame, I believe. So yeah, I I don't know what happened here. Obviously, we're dealing with vastly different metagames between Moto and real life. But uh, I I think that's probably enough about the Moto PTQ because there was kind of a good result for our cast that we should probably discuss a little bit.
0: Yeah, dude, I made the national team.
1: That's insane. You're just you're checking off the bucket list of tournaments right now. Like, the two tournaments that are even harder than the Pro Tour to get to. Like, even a schlub like me has played a bunch of Pro Tours. But WMCQ and Worlds, dude, that's about as cool as it gets. And they're unique tournaments and special tournaments. And you're going to get to do them both within the span of a year. Pretty crazy.
0: Yeah, it's sick. Uh, I'm I'm very excited and... Certainly a lot of like my drive going into nationals was just like I get to team with Reed, you know, and that's that's going to be awesome. And it's going to be a lot of fun. And I I got lucky enough and I made it happen.
1: Yeah, Reed's, Reed's a great guy. I'm sure you guys are going to make an awesome team. And, and Oliver is someone I know from the Northeast scene. He's He's local to me. Uh, I don't think I've ever beaten him in a match of magic. And this reaches back to the times when he was like twelve and just crushing me yeah. on a routine basis in like control mirrors and playing perfectly along the way. I, I think he's a very good player. This is kind of like his trademark result at this point, but I think you guys are gonna find him to be a very good teammate on the national team.
0: No, he is he is definitely very good. Like he's gone deep in a bunch of grand prix. I think he has one GP top eight, an open win. Uh, my record against him is definitely at least zero and two, and I think it might be zero and three, but I I don't remember like the other match we played. Yeah. But yeah, no, he's he's hella good too.
1: Agreed, agreed, and you know he's kind of I guess reaching his magical prime right now, right? He still had some youth to overcome, and I, I think you know maybe some deck selection issues, but he's getting them ironed out, and he's he's probably going to be a fixture in the future. He's not he's not going to be a one off this guy who makes one nationals appearance. He's if he keeps the fire for magic, he's going to be around for a long time.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited. Like, people are saying that our team is stacked and we have one of the best teams. And I, I agree that we have one of the best teams. But, like,
1: I still think that Brazil and Japan are both a little bit better. I would agree with that. Not to take anything away from you guys, but Brazil's team is just bonkers. And I actually don't know Japan's off the top of my head. Who, who comprises their team? Shota, Yuya, and Kenta Harane. Okay, well, that's insane. And, so,
0: And I, I played uh, Kenta Harane at pt almond cat and i'm just like man this guy's really good like he just he just straight up tricked me
1: yeah those are stacked teams i mean look it's for the most part it's going to be a very stacked tournament i think that's the nature of the wmcq certainly you yeah. know the captain's always going to be a great player from basically every country so yeah it, i i can't wait to watch it the wmcq i think it's had some formatting issues in the past as a, a viewer friendly tournament But I do think that Wizards is more conscious of those issues now. I'm interested to see how they present it this year. And also, I'm kind of a person who will shrug off the nationalistic pride. I don't think it does a lot of good things for us as a society. But kind of once a year, tongue-in-cheek, getting to go, USA, USA. I'm I'm kind of into that once in a while. You know, I do have some fun. I'm not always so serious. So I I can get into that for this event.
0: Yeah, for sure. So... Uh, I'm pretty excited. This this tournament is happening the first week of December, so it's actually coming up pretty quick, too.
1: Yeah, very soon.
0: But, yeah, just so people know when that is happening. I played Teamer, thought about playing Blue-Black Control, but seemed like things would be a, a little hostile towards it, and I liked my chances better with a deck that I think could be tuned a little bit more for the specific metagame, and Teamer is basically just that deck. So I, I think that... Most people have just come to the conclusion that it is the best deck, and there's maybe no consensus best list. Like, obviously, PGO did a lot of good work at Worlds with, like, tuning the deck and showing what it's capable of and stuff, and uh, my national list was a little bit of a departure from theirs, but yeah, I thought it's it's time to bring back kind of like the, the deck tech episode and just go, like, really in-depth in, depth in uh, on Teamer, because either you're playing it or you're going to play against it.
1: Yeah, and I'm looking forward to having this discussion. I think Teamer is a deck which, uh, you know, kind of mystifies a lot of people. This was a very popular potential topic in our uh, Patreon Discord. The, There's a lot of guys there excited to hear us talk about the deep dive on Teamer Energy. And, and we're going to get into all the meat and potatoes. So so let's do it.
0: Yeah, so my my record at Nationals overall was 5-2. and two. I think, 5-2-1, and one. like I lost round three in the mirror to Brad Nelson, uh, and then I lost in the finals, and uh, like, it, Nationals is kind of a weird tournament because I didn't actually play a lot with my standard deck, you know, because I had like two buys during the standard portion and there were six rounds of draft and stuff, so I, I don't think that my list was necessarily 100% the best, and there are certainly some changes that I would make going forward because the metagame seems to be making some... Some reasonable movement, you know, like Magic Online is having some new decks pop up and certainly like some weirdo decks made the top eight of our nationals and stuff. So uh, I think it is important to note that Teamer is just a deck that is comprised of a bunch of powerful cards and can be tuned one way or the other. And for any given week, there's not necessarily a best list, you know, because like the metagames for different tournaments are going to be very
1: different, right? Yeah, I think that's spot on. And I think, uh, you know, kind of Teamer's biggest selling point for me right now is its adaptability. And just the fact that I'm very confident that there aren't truly hateful decks against Teamer. They can try to be hateful, and for one week they can succeed in being hateful. But if you're able to kind of pin the expected metagame with Teamer, I think you can get to a very safe place most of the time. And, you know, doing that with Teamer, it's not the same as making a metagame call with something like Approach that I made, where I am reliant on getting these matchups. Even when Teamer is kind of misbuilt or mistuned or not getting the exact matchups it wants, it still just does a proactively powerful thing um and, and has a multitude of nut draws that it can present to the opponent that just take over the game regardless of what they're doing. So it, it's a nice it's a nice default spot to be in in the standard format. And I think uh, spending time with the deck, getting to know it inside and out will only benefit you as the season goes on,
0: yeah. So going into nationals, my expectation was obviously that the good decks were going to be somewhat popular, but there's also going to be just a bunch of random stuff. Mm-hmm. And, That kind of proved to be true, Uh, there were far more tokens decks than I expected, uh, just because tokens is like this phenomenon that was happening online, but we hadn't really seen it a lot in real life, just because there haven't really been a whole lot of real life tournaments, and yeah, there was a lot of tokens walking around, certainly more than I thought, and it's supposed to be like the teamer killer, but like you said, just like, yeah, I, I didn't prepare really for tokens a lot, and I still beat it twice.
1: Yeah, and I, I would agree with that assessment that it does have a favorable team or matchup, but you know, you had some cool tech. I, I think I saw you bring in your lifecrafters bestiaries against tokens. Were they good in that matchup? Obviously you've included them mostly for blue black, I'm assuming, or approach obviously, but did you find them to be a, a successful strategy in the tokens matchup as well?
0: It seemed pretty good because yeah, I, I just had, you know, enough enough ways to put pressure on him and force him to, like, block with his tokens and stuff and not amass, like, an Insano board or anything. Mm-hmm. And then I just had enough gas to, like, power through the, the cast outs and the Fumigates and stuff like that. So uh, I liked it.
1: Okay. Yeah, I didn't I didn't necessarily want to dive deep into the sideboard tech now, but that, that was the first thing that sprung to mind because I watched your, I believe it was your semifinals match against tokens. Is that correct?
0: Uh, I think this was... The penultimate round of Swiss, where I was on camera against tokens. okay.
1: Okay, so it was a little bit earlier in the tournament. Yeah, and and I noticed you had the the bestiary in, and you had kind of discussed some sideboard plans with me going into the tournament, but I don't think we even mentioned tokens. No. I don't know if it just wasn't on your radar to that extent, or if it was just something that you were willing to adapt to on the fly, but...
0: Uh, I I was mostly just willing to adapt to it, and the deck is, like, hard to play. It has a lot of triggers. Uh, I didn't think that it was necessarily like, defined, like, the best lists were out there, like, obviously, there's the Vraska one, and then there's the Esper one, but it it didn't seem like anyone was really high on it, and then just, you know, a bunch of people ended up playing it, like, I just heard, like, no internet chatter about, like, oh, I'm gonna play tokens in in my next tournament or whatever, so, yeah, it kind of, kind of caught me by surprise, but I had enough stuff that's, like, good against, you know, control decks, or, like, spell-based decks, or decks that are trying to, like, kill my stuff that, you know, I had enough tools for the matchup and I hadn't actually played against the deck a lot, but just, you know, sitting down and thinking about like what's important in the matchup and how the games are going to play out, like actually proved to be pretty helpful.
1: Yep. That makes sense. And, you know, you had some good tools that, Helps you present a quick clock and proactively back up that clock. You had Spell Pierce is obviously very good in that situation where you're protecting yourself from Fumigate while still advancing your board. So I, I think you made some small adaptations, which may have not necessarily been made with the tokens matchup in mind, but benefited you when it came time to play the matchup.
0: Yeah, for sure. The the weird thing to me about teamer is how disorganized and like scattered this deck is. It's like Longtusk Cub is... Just like this beatdown tool, Servant of the Conduit is like accelerating you into bigger things. Whirler Virtuoso is like this go wide strategy. Bristling Hydra is like a protect the queen type of thing. And then Glorybringer is like whatever, you know, just like this, this good top end card. But like none of those cards really have any synergy with each other outside of the energy mechanic, you know? It's like you're just playing the best things along the curve. And I think for the most part, like those cards are all sort of locked into the deck in certain numbers, you know? Like, maybe if red does die, like, you play fewer Whirler Virtuosos, but, like, you need Cub, you need Servant, you need Refiner. Uh, I would argue that you need Glorybringer, and then Bristling Hydra's getting worse, I think.
1: I can see that, I, but I would also, for me, a card I would add to the must-play list is Whirler Virtuoso at this point. I, I don't think it's about just red anymore. I think the card... You know, you you talked about the energy mechanic being the one glue. That's true, but you get paid so hard on that mechanic. And probably your biggest payment is Virtuoso. I mean, sometimes it's Cub when Cub runs over a game. But I, I think the most consistent payment you have is Virtuoso. And I don't see myself trimming that card kind of regardless of the metagame shift. It's It's never awful. There's some matchups where it's not great. But even then, it's like... That three energy is worth a lot in a lot of spots and and just enables your most broken things that you can do. And, you know, to see the card shine against something like blue-black, which I think in a lot of metagames, you wouldn't expect a card like Whirl of Virtuoso to be good against the de facto control deck in the format. But the nature of blue-black being very one-for-one based and just targeted removal has kind of put Virtuoso in a position where I I think it's a must-include at this point. And I haven't strayed below four in quite some time now.
0: Sure. And, I I mean, I'm still playing four, and I'm planning on playing four. Uh, I I agree that it is very good against Blue-Black. It is not very good against Approach or the Mirror. Just having Flyers is very good against the token deck, too. Mm -hmm. So so I agree that it's, like, still a four-of now, but, like, I think the other cards are mostly locked in, at least, like, Cub, Servant, Refiner. And Whirler is still probably a metagame thing. Like, it doesn't really matter how much the metagame moves. Like, you're still going to play Cub, Servant, Refiner, right?
1: Yeah, I would point out while while I don't know that it was ever correct, and I actually want to get into this a little bit more when we get to the sideboarding talk, but I would point out there was a time when Long Tusk Cub was cut from the list. And I think that was just a mistake, but it has happened in the past.
0: Well, it was it was basically just like after Marvel was banned, people finally started tuning like the monster like uh energy lists. Mm. And then they're like, oh, this this Cub card is pretty good instead of playing like Channel or Initiate or whatever. And they were right.
1: Yeah, it may have just been an oversight for all the times it wasn't included.
0: Yeah, I think think it was.
1: I can get on board with that. And, you know, I guess I'll just mention it now. I think there's a lot of confusion about what to do with Long Tusk Cub in post-board games. I used to be very play-draw dependent as to how I valued my Long Tusk Cubs. I don't know that I feel that way anymore. I think it's more beneficial to just look at Longtusk Cub as Tarmogoyf in this deck. Because the size that it it reaches is very comparable, and obviously the mana investment is identical. And it's really not dependent on play draw when you just get so much out of the rest of your deck. Like, it's not like Longtusk Cub is where you're getting your energy from. You have all these other sources. And I've found more success keeping Longtusk Cub in, in spots where I wouldn't have in the past. Uh, and I'm curious if you've kind of come the same way on the card.
0: I don't believe I cited out a long-tailed cub once at nationals. Yeah,
1: I, I'm not surprised to hear that, and that's a conclusion that I didn't always feel that way. And I don't. I think there's a lot of people who still don't feel that way. I think there's probably some very good teamer players who would disagree with that stance.
0: Well, we we have we have different plans, especially post board. Sure. So one of the first videos i did on scg like post marvel was the teamer list that had with with, like the new edition of cub like when it was like a new thing and i was like oh man like cub you know like really helps this deck a lot it's like a really smart inclusion blah blah blah. and then i played like my three matches and i was just like oh you know i'm playing against this control deck like this cub doesn't seem very good because it'll just like get caught up in sweepers or whatever and i I think i cited it out like every match and i just would never do that like these days
1: yeah i'm with you again i it's interesting how much our understanding of this deck has evolved over time. And even when the numbers aren't changing a lot, because like you said, the, the core is pretty solid at this point. And lists like this are only a couple cards off from lists that existed in the last format, um, at least in the main deck. Obviously, the sideboard is very different. And that's kind of where the meat and potatoes of this deck may lie. But it's just interesting to see how much the conceptions around this deck have, have evolved over time without the list evolving all that much in the main
0: yeah, I mean, the the case for cutting Long tusk Cub, I think, is reasonable. Like, if you are talking about playing against Approach, uh, or maybe Tokens, or maybe the Mirror Match, like, it's not that difficult for them to make Long tusk Cub irrelevant. And once you get into the later stages of the game, Longtusk Cub is, like, not a very good top deck. But at the same time, like, I think people are just really underestimating how aggressive Teamer is supposed to be. Yes. And... Yeah, assuming you're not playing against mono red or something, like teemer is probably the aggro deck in the matchup.
1: Yeah, and, and just how how much nuttier your nut draws are with, with long tusk cub in your deck. Uh, it's it's just like playing completely different games than than without the card there. You know, you mentioned approach. I at this point I would never ever even consider cutting long tusk cub against approach. I, especially yeah. once you have spell pierce in the deck, it's just like I'm going hard on that card every single time.
0: Right, it is. It's like one of the the very few cards that allows you to function like a fish deck.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly right.
0: And it's it's kind of high variance. Like obviously, if you top deck it on turn six, you're you're just like, oh man, like this kind of stinks or whatever. But like, you also have to be cognizant of keeping your mana curve relatively low, and like po- especially in like post board games where like you know everyone's deck gets a lot better, right? Like you would prefer to not have a bunch of clunky cards, and. Yeah, like, Cub is is a card that allows you to put immense pressure on your opponent super early. So I think that even though it is kind of a bad top deck, that, like, it is a card that should probably stay in your deck. Because if you're trying to play, like, the control game against, like, these actual control decks or, like, these actual, you know, super go-over-the-top-you mid-range decks like tokens, like, I don't think that that plan necessarily works out as well as... Just trying to stick a threat and maybe protect it.
1: Yeah, and even the chip damage is is super relevant, especially against a deck like Tokens, the chip damage comes to mind. When you're able to get in a few points early because your Longtusk Cubs were on the board, uh, it makes top deck Glorybringers live. And you know, there's been many, many times where I've beaten Tokens as the team or player where it's just like, I'm just playing off the top of my deck. And I know if I hit Glorybringer in the next X number of turns, I'll win. And if I don't, I'll lose. But that's the situation you play yourself to a lot of the times, and Longtus Cub definitely does a good job of enabling that.
0: Right. And it's way easier to kill them with Glorybringer when they're at eight instead of like sixteen. Yeah. You know? It sure is. Yeah, I like Cub a lot. Did not side it out. Uh there like PGO was siding out Cub in mirror matches because their plan was to go bigger with Torrential Gear Hulk and Glimmer of Genius and stuff. And while I think that is a fine plan, I don't think it like I don't think that, that plan means that you take out cub that's that's it just strikes me as strange
1: i understand what they're trying to do and it you can see the logic right like you just get bigger obviously long test cub is your smallest threat so you're you're playing for the late game now and i i think that this is something that i've talked about a bunch with kind of friends who i often theorize with i think the presence of a plan is more important than your plan being optimal does that make sense? Like, basically, all I'm saying is that if you know what you're doing, even if you're doing the wrong thing, as long as you know and you're playing the game in a method that capitalizes on that plan, then it doesn't matter if you're, quote unquote, wrong. And so I, I think I agree that just cutting Long Tusk Cub in Team Energy may be default wrong, but if their plan is to play in such a way that doesn't rely on Long Tusk Cub then it's probably going to be better than just, you know, shoving a mishmash of cards into your team or energy deck and hoping that you're well-equipped for the mirror. It's not about finding efficient, like, one-for-one lineups. It's about efficiently lining your deck up against their deck.
0: Right. And I, I definitely agree with you in regards to plans. It's just like, I, I don't know if, like, Cub is necessarily bad in that plan.
1: I don't have enough experience with the big plan to say that authoritatively. Why do you think it may not be a poor card in that plan?
0: So... You can try and play the game where, you know, you like Lightning on two and Essence Scatter on four and like you play Glimmer and you play Gearhulk and all that nonsense, but like isn't that plan just better if you have a long Longtusk Cub in play on turn two? Like if your plan is to like deal with their stuff as it comes out, I would rather have that plan while also be hitting them with a the Cub,
1: you know? I think my answer to that question would be everything is better with long Longtusk Cub on turn two and that's why I don't right. cut it anymore. So yeah, yes, ex- I agree exactly.
0: Yeah, I mean, that that's basically my point is, like, if Cub is bad because it gets killed or outclassed or whatever, like, I don't know, man. Like, I, I would be higher on cutting, like, Whirler or Bristling Hydra to some degree in the mirror or just, like, getting rid of your servants maybe, you know? Like, if you want fewer low-impact cards, then... I don't know. Like Cub is potentially like super high impact. You know, like there there are there are certainly games where like it gets to be a six six and they just can't kill it, right? And then it just becomes the abyss. Like,
1: I will say that I find that Cub gets taken with Confiscation Coup more than any other creature in the mirror matchup. That's legit. So it is a point of vulnerability in that sense. But I I don't think you're taking out your long test cubs to minimize the impact of confiscation coup. Like, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. I'm just pointing out that that does seem to be a very common line of play and interaction that I see in the mirror matchup.
0: Absolutely. absolutely. But if they are if they have that confiscation coup, your two drop... Your five well, for that two, means, you feel okay about. Yeah, that means your two drop is hella good. And from turns like three, four, and five, you were probably smashing them.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I am on board with the... Most times, keep Cubs. I, I don't really have many spots where it's not sticking around anymore. So uh, maybe that's kind of big tip number one for aspiring teamer players. Don't be so quick to cut the Cubs. They're they're kind of the key to your strategy right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it just run, runs away with games. It gives you a bunch of free wins.
1: Yeah, free wins are always good. I'm not smart enough to play good games of Magic all the time. I'll take all the free wins I can get, so.
0: Yeah. So I think the creatures are mostly set in stone. Like, three bristling Hydra is kind of where... The Hive Mind has settled on. I think that's mostly due to PGO only playing three of them. Like, I was pretty high on playing four last season. But this season, it it just doesn't seem like it's all that important. Like, there are way more Essence Scatters running around, so people have good answers to them. Uh, there are more decks playing Fumigate. There are more decks that have either a Whirler or a bunch of green creatures that just, like, clog up the ground and everything. Uh, Hydra is not your only answer to Hazaret, like, making it six toughness or anything like now you're playing like confiscation coup people are playing commit memory and stuff so i think going lower a little bit on hydra is perfectly okay
1: yeah i hydra can still steal games right and i think that's why it's probably going to sit at a three i i really don't see it going below that point maybe a two of it's never going to disappear from the deck it's just too powerful and too many matchups um and the you know turn two servant into turn three hydra is Probably one of the most punishing draws you can present as the team or deck. So yeah, I, I don't see it dropping much lower. Maybe a two of, but I, I I don't see Hydra ever leaving the deck in its entirety.
0: Yeah, I don't think so either. Like I I do think the card is quite good, but you know there there are worlds where Hydra could become less effective, right? Like one of one of the things that I was doing with like my uh, black blue mid range deck going into worlds was I was just, like, loading up on Death Touch creatures, just mm-hmm. gifted Aetherborns and gaunties and stuff, and their Hydras were just always bad against me. And I was playing some test games against Raptor, and he just started siding them out.
1: Yeah, Hydra is terrible against Aetherborn. Nothing feels worse than seeing an Aetherborn on turn two and just being, like, you know, in most, in most matches where the Aetherborns are coming in, you've probably trimmed your removal to some extent, and you're just looking at Hydras in your hand and being like, oh, these cards are completely worthless now.
0: Yep. And Vizier of Many Faces is another card that people are playing that just mostly blanks Hydra. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like, there there are clever solutions to it that people are employing. And it is, it's kind of imperative in those matchups that uh, you don't have your cards line up super poorly. I think that's true.
1: Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see if that's kind of the next evolution, if we start seeing the Hydra numbers shift around, because that seems like, that seems like the next pressure point right now. When I look at the rest of this list, there's so many things that I just wouldn't consider touching. So when there is something that kind of stands out, is ah oh, maybe this is a little bit worse. It, it's worth taking note at this point because the list has gotten to a very refined point.
0: Yep. So, Glory Bringer is dude. That card's so good. You know, like Scarab God is good, but the the splash is not free. And I think I would rather just like keep the deck clean. Like there's not as many mid range fights where. I would want the Scarab God and now with like everyone playing Coup and stuff like that like people have answers to it and I think just getting the immediate impact from Glorybringer is probably better.
1: Yeah we talked about this a long time ago I I think when you know the Scarab God tech kind of first showed up in Teamer, I don't know which tournament it was that I was playing but I, I played Scarab God and often found myself wishing that it was just another Glorybringer because the haste and immediate board impact was just worth a lot more in so many matchups and you know we're talking about situations where you're literally playing your entire game plan to put them in range of top deck glory bringers against something like tokens and playing the scarab god just bars you out from that option at this point look the scarab god's an incredibly incredibly powerful card it'll find plenty of homes in standard throughout its reign but i put glory bringer in the same class of cards and you're the best glory bringer deck in the format again a card i don't really see myself passing on anytime soon. But we do know there are metagames that Glorybringer doesn't line up well against. It, it's happened in the past where like even, uh, I'm thinking of times where like Marty Vehicles preferred avicen over Glorybringer. Now we're talking about cards that don't even exist in the format anymore where we're making these decisions. But I, I can see Glorybringer falling to the back of the line. And you know, your sideboard tech maybe could have some impact on that. Something If Chandra's Defeat starts seeing widespread play because this is a card you played in very large numbers this weekend uh i don't know that i've ever seen anyone play three challenges defeat before
0: <laughs> i um, think you i think you you played three at worlds actually okay.
1: okay so it's it's been touched on before was that um move you made kind of with you know thoughts on raining and opposing glory bringers obviously as well as the mono red deck
0: no i just wanted more one minute interaction for mono red and it's like why why are these magma sprays like why not just have a bunch of defeats You know, like I I would bring in probably one in the mirror because they would, they will have four glory bringers and maybe I can tag a virtuoso or something Mm -hmm. and maybe they have Chandra. But yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't just like loading up on them in mirror matches. Okay.
1: So this was strictly a mono red concession. And I, I do think that this is the best answer against mono red, especially, you know what they do in post board games and they diversify their threats and they go big and they have glory bringers and Chandra's and a million things where you're just getting huge value out of your one mana removal spell.
0: Yeah, I mean, they also have things like Harsh Mentor and Ferocidon. So, like, you know, they they have a a varying spread of, like, toughnesses and threat diversity and stuff. And Chandra's Defeat just kills them all,
1: you know? just clean it all up. Did you face a lot of Mono Red this weekend? Zero. Zero, okay. Yeah, I mean, that's what I would have expected. We declared Mono Red dead when we sat here last week. So (laughs) I was certainly surprised to see uh, tons of it in the Moto PTQ. um, But it doesn't surprise me that you did not see a lot of it. IRL. Cho-, Cho played against it twice. Okay. I don't know if we saw metagame percentages anywhere. I don't recall anyone publishing those kind of uh, stats for this tournament. So I don't I don't nah, know how prevalent so. it was, but it seemed, just based on what I was hearing, what I saw from coverage, that it was certainly not a heavily played deck.
0: Yeah. So the rest of teamer 22 lands for a tune with the deck being straight teamer and no splashes. I think the mana base is kind of solidified at this point. Like you have four hub, four sanctum, three Spire Bluff canal, one Island, two mountains, some amount of forest, ripbound crags and sheltered thickets. And you had
1: zero sheltered thickets.
0: I am, I am pro ripbound crag. I, I know that at some point sheltered thicket is going to like creep back into my deck list, but like obviously having the cycle land on, you know, turn five, six, seven, like, is is excellent. I just I want to be able to cast my spells in the early game and Rootbound Crag mostly makes that okay to happen, you know? But obviously like if you're trying to like magma spray on turn 1 or whatever, neither one really helps you. I don't know. I I would prefer to just have my lands ETB untapped and Rootbound Crag does that. So I played 3 Crag and 5 forest whereas most people are like going lower on forest. Like Seth Seth had 3 forest, 1 island, 1 mountain.
1: Yeah, that's kind of crazy. He went really hard on the Shelter Thicket Rootbound Crag. Yeah, um, I I do love the fact that the, that the Thicket turns on the Crag. That's been super relevant for me in a bunch of of games because I have both in my list right now. Yeah, it's cute. I will say that I reached the point this past week, and if I had gone to Nationals, my plan was to play Teamer, um, a, a little bit different looking list. I actually played Charter Course. Uh, in Dude. The, uh, Dude, I wanted to try chart of course so bad, Cho would not let me. I, I think it's good. How many? I, I had two. I, I had him in the Essence Scatter slots. Ew, so, okay. I, I don't necessarily like that, but I, I do think the chart is probably awesome. I think that's the mistake I made in in that it's it's very hard to give up Essence Scatter right now. And I would even like be amenable to trying a one-one split and just kind of trying to maze in the right spot. I think the teamer list is so good at this point that, like, all you want to do is is mitigate Flood and hit your land drops. And playing a card like Chart, of course, which, like, you know, doesn't have any real synergy with the deck is... I don't want to call it mopey, because it's obviously a very good rate, but it doesn't do anything. It's just, like, more cards, more card selection. But I just feel like if you play your game with teamer you're in such a good spot. And there were so many times when I top-decked a chart of course, and I was just like, oh, I can't lose anymore. Just yeah. because they're getting that little bump of gas. I mean, I'm sure you've even felt it with, with the... uh the shelter thickets, where like you draw a shelter thicket, and you're like, thank God I'm getting a look at another card. And when you reach the kind of mid to late game with Teemer, there's a lot of times where you're sitting with like nine energy in play and anything you draw off the top of your deck is like, you know, a six, six long tusk cub or a servant of the conduit. That's going to make four tokens or a glory bringer, which is going to win the game on the spot. So each draw step in the mid to late game becomes so impactful. So I really like Charter of course. I was excited about the list, um, which is why I, I was Pretty upset that I didn't end up making it, but I, I don't know if it's the way forward. It's just interest, interesting to see when we reach a point where a deck becomes so good that my concern becomes, how do I mitigate the non-games? Like, all I want to do is just make sure I do teamer things and maximize the number of games I'm actually actively participating in, and then I feel like I can't lose the tournament, and that's a really good spot to be in for a deck.
0: Yeah, the, the only issue with that is, like, deck space and how bad it is on the draw sometimes and... Your threats mostly come out, like, one at a time, like, you don't really get to double spell until, like, turn five, turn six. Mm-hmm.
1: I will say this facilitates some double spells uh, to, to an extent, like, the the five mana turn where you have, like, a Whirler Virtuoso into uh, a charter of course, feels pretty good.
0: Sure, but it's, it's not, like, a double spell that affects the board, is my point. That's fair. Right. It is worth noting that Whirler Virtuoso will, a lot of the time, leave, like, a random token lying around, even mm-hmm. if they're, like, killing your stuff as you play it out, so... I really wanted to try Charter course, very badly, but it was like, I'm not going to mess with it, like, you know, in in nationals or whatever, like, I, I would rather just like play a deck that I know is good and not have some games come down to like, I drew this ham sandwich that should not be in my deck, you know?
1: Yeah, I, I get that approach, stick with what works, and you know, obviously it worked out for you, so I, I am happy you did not play Charter Course this weekend, I don't I don't know what would have happened, maybe you would have won if you played Charter Course, who yeah. knows, but uh, I think you're probably satisfied with your decision to pass on it.
0: Yeah, so when I started playing Teamer last season, Tireless Tracker was a big focal point of the deck, and I really liked the angle that Teamer was coming from, where it was like this mid-range deck that put pressure on you, and also at some point like stuck a tracker and could keep... Playing magic like into the long game. Mm -hmm. And even before Tracker rotated, towards the end of the season, like people had mostly just cut the trackers from their decks to play more Whirler Virtuosos, you know, and then they just like lost that angle of attack from the deck. And there hasn't really been anything to like, you know, take that place or whatever. So you are very much just like, I'm I'm gonna play out my hand and the spells that I draw over the course of the next few turns, and like hopefully I win, you know, because my cards are the most powerful. But I, I really do miss the aspect of, like, the, the Teamer deck being able to go long, and uh, Chandra was responsible for some of that, and I had things like Nissa, Steward of Elements in my sideboard that I was trying before, and they help a little bit, but, like, you know, Chandra is just pretty bad in a lot of matchups because, like, a lot of them are about getting on board and stuff, so uh, Chandra is absent from most lists at this point. Yeah, but I, I really do miss that aspect, and I think, like, Charter Course or Champion of Wits, something like that could, could actually help, but I haven't gotten around to trying it yet.
1: What about the card to that effect that you did end up playing, which is Lifecrafters Bestiary? I mean, that seems like a card that kind of fills that role.
0: It it does, but it's like, it's like a targeted hate card, right? It's not like a card you can play in game one.
1: Okay, I see what like, you're
0: saying. Uh, so, uh, also, testing for worlds, one of the first decks that I built was a, a bigger teamer deck. It was like, Cutting Servant, playing more lands, playing, like, three Glimmer, two gear hulk, and, like, a bunch of Essence Scatters and some Sensors, and my hope was that it would just be better in the Mirror, but I found that, like, I would just get tempoed out a lot of the time and have, like, no life gain, no sweepers or anything, mm. uh, and then it was funny, because that ended up being, like, PGO sideboard playing for the Mirror, right? Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, having, like, I was, I was trying to, like, recreate that feeling of, like, having a team or deck that could play a long
1: game. Uh, I, I I get that. I I certainly love the feel of tireless tracker games where you know you stick a tack, a tracker and then you feel unassailable from that point. You know you're eventually going to run away with the game. Right. It doesn't take long either. It's like you just hit a, a couple land drops and the game's over.
0: Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't ask you to do much. But like all these other things like glimmer or bestiary or even of course, like the, it's it's a tall ask for a lot of them. You know. Yep. But yeah, I I am interested in trying some things along those lines and. If you are able to figure out a plan like that that works, then I think that is something that could potentially take Teamer to the next level because that is currently one of its weaknesses is just, you know, running out of gas.
1: Yeah, and, you know, this goes back to our – we talked about Charter Course on our – uh, the, the preview show we did for the new set. And we quickly recognized the fact that it was very possible that you could just add four Charter Course to a deck like Teamer and then all of a sudden have a broken deck. I still haven't yeah. tried that yet. But maybe I I need to check that off my list because I could really see that making a difference in a lot of matchups.
0: So, unfortunately, I think Teamer has too high of a concentration at three mana and doesn't have, like, enough one or two drops. So, like, your curve is a little bit too clunky, I think, to play a charter course because, like, you're not starting most games, you know, as the aggressor necessarily. It's generally like you turn the corner and become the aggressor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I am I am wary about Charter Course in Teamer because I don't think you're going to be able to cast it for value until, like, turn six. And if you're just casting it as Tormenting Voice, like, that's not super impressive, you know? I, I do want to try it for sure, and I certainly want to try decks that have four Charter Course. And I certainly want to try Charter Course in Legacy and like, Blue-Red Delver or something, you know? Like, I, I think that card is awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah, it deserves a home for sure. And I, I do think it will find one in, as we go forward. I think Black-Blue Rage is still good. Could be. I saw some lists circulating uh, right before Nationals. I think it was uh, a Jabberwocky list that was getting passed oh, yeah. around that people were excited about.
0: Yeah, and, and uh, Esper got second at his Nationals with it. Okay. So it's it's got legs. It's good. But anyway, back to back to old Teamer. The only thing left to talk about in the deck, really, is the random slots of interaction, like the removal and the essence scatters and confiscation cues of the world and... Ah, uh, the commit memory, I guess.
1: Yeah, if that's your thing.
0: Yeah, so it doesn't sound like it's your thing.
1: I, I see its place if you have Gear Hulk in your sideboard. I think it becomes much better without Gear Hulk. I'm going to take a pass on that card for now. But it, it upgrades quite substantially. Uh, you know, being able to get the the Wheel of Fortune effect at the end of your opponent's turn once you have Gear Hulk in your deck. I'm kind of into that. It, it gets much better.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure how often that happens, but even just having an answer to any sort of permanent or spell off of Gear Hulk, Like, it certainly gives Gear Hulk a big upgrade. But, yeah, four, four Harness Landing is a given. I really like Essence Scatter and Confiscation Coup right now. And then I think you need some one-mana interaction, so I have a couple Magma Sprays. And then my other slot was just a random Abrade because I wanted some amount of interaction against Artifacts and Enchantments. Uh, obviously, Abrade doesn't touch Enchantments, but Abrade, like, gave me one half of that.
1: Yeah, I think this is a totally fine breakdown. I think this is the correct breakdown for the current metagame, and I think those four numbers kind of just need to flex around as the metagame moves, and some will go up, some will go down. Harness, Lightning will probably always have four copies. Uh, I don't see that ever going down. But the, It's just Doom Blade. Yeah, the, the Abrade, Essence Scatter, Magma Spray, Confiscation Coup all have flexibility to them, uh, and all should be tailored to your expected metagame, I believe.
0: Yeah, I, I did like my mix at Nationals. I could see going like even higher on Essence Scatter, especially if you had some way to draw cards. I think that that effect would be really powerful.
1: I, I will be honest. I understand Essence Scatter in this deck. I'm a little uncomfortable with it, though. I, I think it's just presented me with decisions that I've found difficult to analyze. That's not to say it, it's not the correct call. Um, you know, you shouldn't shy away from difficult decisions. But I have found myself a little bit more comfortable passing on Essence Scatter for the time being and just staying proactive, never even having those turns where I have to consider like, oh, am I leaving Essence Scatter mana up this turn because I have a vulnerability or am I just advancing my board? Because you fall into those situations where it's like you check back on the game after you've completed it and you're like, oh, had I just advanced my board as opposed to held up Essence Scatter on that turn, I actually would have just won regardless of what he did on this turn. Um, Now, being a good Magic player, you're probably a little bit better than I am at assessing those spots and getting to the right spots and the right calls. But I've passed on it so far, and I haven't been too upset about it. And I think as things kind of – as the format kind of tweaks itself around Essence Scatter's inclusion, I can see this number start to float down. It's interesting that you feel the opposite way and kind of want to ramp this number up even further.
0: Uh, I mean, I, I don't think that I necessarily want to. I, I don't want to get flooded on them for sure, and at Nationals, there were definitely moments like what you're talking about, where it's like, well, I could play my Whirler, but like, you know, if they play a Hydra or something, I really want to scatter it, so okay, I guess I'll do nothing, and then it's just blatantly obvious what I have, right? So then they just yeah. play around it. It's just like, it it worked for, for PGO, because oh, yeah. especially like round four, like they didn't have deck lists, you know, but postboard when you have like all the glimmers and gearhawks and stuff essence scatter is reasonable because you're just like draw going a lot more often uh but that was not the case with how i built my deck it's just that essence scatter lines up so well against a lot of the threats in the format and i could see a world where you just play more of them you know but I, i do agree with you that like the more people are used to playing against it and everything and building their decks with it in mind the worse it gets certainly
1: yeah, and you know, I think when I was tuning Teamer for this weekend, I was a little too cognizant of the fact that I was passing on the Gear Hulk plan and downgraded cards like Essence Scatter because of it. And didn't really, I didn't give Essence Scatter a fair shake, I'll say that. Once I cut Gear Hulk, I was very quick to cut Essence Scatter, which, um, you know, certainly may have been incorrect. But I had my reasons, they were thought out. I don't know if they are correct going forward. I'll have to kind of reevaluate based on where the metagame's at before my next tournament.
0: No, that's legit. The other thing that I want to note is that, like, Brad, Seth, and I believe BBD all had a Carnage Tyrant main deck. Mm Mm-hmm. Which I think is perfectly reasonable. I had two Viziers in my sideboard, and, like, kind of their plan in the mirror was, like, oh, I'll just, you know, trade stuff and then Carnage Tyrant them. And it's like, okay, that kind of works, but, like, you're also just, like, walking into my sideboard card. And I think Vizier is basically the best card in the mirror match because like if they glory bringer you you get to glory bringer them back for 4 mana potentially play another spell and then once they deal with your glory bringer you get to do something else like it is it's very cheap very impactful and is a 2 for 1 in like very big powerful ways so i think vizier is excellent and carnage tyrant just kind of like slams head first into that unfortunately but i do think carnage tyrant is pretty good
1: vizier is amazing carnage tyrant is worse glyph keeper and I have no interest in Carnage Tyrant right now. I would have Glyph Keeper before I have Carnage Tyrant, which is, I know something you were not particularly on board with. Um, I think it does its job very effectively. I think that it has applications in more matchups than Carnage Tyrant does. It's not quite as vulnerable to Vizier because obviously you still keep your embalm uh, side, although it is very expensive and you are losing mana on the trade. But, you know, you really get wrecked when you get your Carnage Tyrant Viziered. Yeah. I had a lot of success with Glyphkeeper. Keeper. It was a really excellent card for me. It was certainly going to be in my sideboard. Uh, I liked it in the mirror. I liked it against blue-black. I liked it against tokens. Um, and it was super strong in all those matchups. And people who played the list that I shared, uh, I know someone did very well at Spanish Nationals with it. I know someone did well at Canadian Nationals with it. Uh, awesome. I don't I don't know that anyone took it to American Nationals. But yeah, I, I think Glyphkeeper Keeper is a card worth considering. If you're into the Carnage Tyrant-type plans... Give Glyph Keeper a look first, and I I think you'll find yourself pleasantly surprised. Word. Is it possible that Glyph Keeper is a worse Vizier? That is possible. And I had both in my sideboard to start with. It was two Glyph Keeper, one Vizier. I switched that uh, the last day. I I had one Glyph Keeper, two Viziers, because Vizier was just proving to be so powerful in in so many spots. Really nice sideboard card for the format right now. It's like a great creature and card advantage in the mirror. Like, how sweet is that? Yeah, maybe it's just a good main deck card. I don't know. It's possible. Uh, There haven't been many decks that I've been completely displeased with it against. Uh, I guess the one I would point out is is tokens, if that continues to find prevalence. But there's even a few spots where you're you're not just, you're not wrecked by having Vizier. Like, copying a uh, brought back Champion of Wits is very, very good. You're fine doing that. So, So there's interesting stuff there to do with Vizier, even if it's not on its face the most powerful in that matchup.
0: I actually brought it in against my top eight opponent because they were Abzan, and they had two Angel of Sanctions.
1: Seems great, and, yeah.
0: And, and even just like copying my own Rogue Refiner seemed better than a lot of my other options, you know? I have
1: I have made that same play many times, and then the fact that you get an Embalmed Creature out of it is, I mean, the card advantage is a big thing in a, in a lot of spots, and like you said, Teamur doesn't have a lot of clean ways to get that right now.
0: Yeah, it's just, it's just the staying power. Alright, so uh, I think that's like the only spicy stuff that we could potentially play in the main. Uh, I think it is pretty easy to mostly write off Chandra at this point, although, I don't know, like, Blue-Black Control and Approach have pretty clean answers to Chandra. Chandra, I think, is pretty good against the Token deck. Uh, It's not super good in the Mirror, not very good against Red. I don't think it's very good against Sultai. I don't think it's very good against Vehicles, so like it's 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 kind of tough to actually say that chandra is good right now so i think for right now i'm I'm just kind of off it
1: i'm with you chandra's impact on the board in situations where she's immediately dealt with is my biggest problem right now like i would have to just be getting a ton out of the minus like hitting something would have to be a really key play in the format and I don't think it is right now. I think things are a little too wide uh in the mirror. The vulnerability to virtuoso when you make a play like that is is too much and, and there's too many clean answers to Chandra out of the other decks. so I'm also passing on Chandra for the time being yeah it it is it is sad, but oh, well. yeah, obviously a powerful card on its face, but uh you know, everything has a time and place, so
0: yeah, well, the sideboard. I guess, I guess we should just look at the matchups that exist in the format, right? So there's there's Mono Red, there's the Mirror Match, uh, Blue-Black Control, the various token decks, Blue-White Approach, uh, Sultai Constrictor, and Vehicles is kind of making a comeback. So what I generally try and do is certainly focus on the decks that I think are going to be the most popular, but also try to hedge against the other decks that exist, uh, as long as it's mostly free. So like maybe there's, you know, R, Destroy Target Artifact, and there's like Dub, Destroy Target Enchantment, and instead of playing like two of each, I'll like combine those into two disenchants or something, you know, like that's the most simplistic explanation I can give. Just like try and play cards that are very broad and good in multiple situations, and My sideboard has some of that, but it also has, like, some very narrow things, like Chandra's Defeat, so it actually ended up working out pretty well where I played against vehicles, and I got to bring in all of my Chandra's Defeats because they had a bunch of Ferocidons and Harsh Mentors and stuff, so I accidentally got lucky there. Didn't have a lot of stuff for tokens, but did have a lot of stuff for control, and that kind of overlapped. I didn't have a lot of good ways to actually deal with enchantments or anything, but I did have counterspells, so that sort of helps uh river's rebuke is something that i would like to try against them though
1: yeah i'm seeing that show up and i can certainly see a place for that card um it's pretty much game ending when you when you draw it so yeah river's rebuke is a great answer one that i hadn't thought of myself it actually showed up a lot at the open like the open before worlds in dallas huh i must have i must have just slept on it i i I honestly never considered putting it in my team or deck and uh, i kind of regret that i didn't find that piece
0: if you go through, like, just all the Teamer decks that littered the the top 64, like, there's there's actually, like, a lot of cool, reasonable stuff. You know, there's, like, some people uh, with Scare of God, some without, some people playing Duress, you know, some people sticking with counter spells. But, like, uh, almost all of the people, at least, like, well over half, played either one River's Rebuke or one Tempest Caller. And I think it was a consideration for the Mirror because they expected, like, the boards to get bogged down and everything.
1: A Tempest Caller. Wow. That's an yeah. interesting one.
0: No, it was wild. It was weird that, like, everyone came to the same conclusion, too. And then, like, then it kind of fell off because everyone was copying PGO's list. And and
1: then it was just actually really good.
0: Yeah. So I I don't think that River's Rebuke is particularly good in the mirror because, I don't know, people just end up dying, you know? Like, they find a way to punch a hole and the the boards don't normally get clogged down. But, like, if both players have, like, the Scarab God or something, I could totally see that happening.
1: Yeah, it's a little too narrow for my taste for the mirror, but I, I do like it as a nice, clean answer for tokens. I guess the thing is, though, like you said, if you're looking to kind of diversify your answers, I would need another matchup that I'm really looking forward to boarding that card in, and I it's not springing to mind right now. So I, I may still pass on that, even acknowledging that it's a very nice card against tokens.
0: Yeah, and I might be kind of biased because I defeated both the token decks I played against. So it's like, eh, do I really need this? Like, I only had one disenchant too. You know, like I would, I would have been super happy with my matchup if I had another disenchant, and certainly if I had like hulks to flash them back. But it was just like, you know, some spell pierces, some bestiaries, some pressure. Like that just
1: ended up being good enough. Did you bring in Scavenger against the token decks? Oh yeah. Yeah, that seems really good. Uh, getting their anointer priest is a, is a huge game. Obviously, when it eats angel of sanctions, you're you're all set there. Um, what did you think about that card in general? Uh, I would probably
0: not play it again.
1: Okay, this uh, this kind of falls under that banner of a card which has you know a very flexible application, can do a lot of things, but doesn't really do anything super well. Yeah, um, like it's, it's, just it's a little hedge.
0: It's fine against red, it's fine against like God Pharaoh's Gift, it's fine against blue-black because it slows down their search and everything, but yeah, it, just, it doesn't really do anything really well, so uh, if you're looking for cards to cut in my sideboard, maybe one Chandra's Defeat and the two Scavengers could be the first things to go, and maybe you don't need the Disenchant.
1: Okay, I like, I like moving that way. Yeah, I, I don't know that Disenchant is actually the key to beating the tokens deck. I, I really like the the proactive spell pierce Supreme Will type plan. That seems much better to me. And just getting on board early and, and kind of letting your insane threats close the game out real quick before things become an issue. You can't take off turns to answer them. And if we had a one mana answer to all their troublesome enchantments, maybe I could get on board with that. But Appetite is is not getting the job done for me right now.
0: Yeah, it's a clunker for sure. Mm-hmm. I When I played against Collins Mullen in the penultimate round I think uh he was playing tokens and I played the the bestiary against him and there was just a point where he like fumigated and got spell pierced and he was like oh what the hell you know like why does this dude have spell pierced in his deck and I'm just like oh because I'm smart and I got you you know
1: do you want to talk uh, but, about the switch to Spell Pierce? But over
0: y- yeah, yeah, That's that's where I'm going. So like, after the match, he was just like, "Yeah, I didn't expect you to have it because it doesn't make any sense for you to have it in your deck with with Bestiary." And what he said made sense because it's like the the Bestiary makes makes it so like you know maybe I want to play like this longer game, but then my Spell Pierces go dead. So like, if I wanted to play this longer game with Bestiary,
1: I should have Negate instead, right? I see what he's saying. I I guess I would argue that your plan doesn't have to be uniform in its approach. Like, you can you can plan for both potential outcomes. Like, there's there's two theoretical games you can win, right? Well, I guess there's certainly more than that. But there are two theoretical games that you, you can win that I'll talk about right now. The first being where you just present an early clock, protect them with Spell Pierce, and kind of run over the game. The second being where that plan is kind of shot down and Bestiary comes online. And I think if Bestiary is online against the deck like that, the fact that you may draw a dead spell pierce at some point is kind of mitigated, right? Like when you're scrying every turn and drawing who knows how many extras, you can bear the cost of having that dead spell pierce in the late game. I don't think they disqualify each other.
0: Right, but in the late game, you might also need a hard counter, right? And now I just, I don't have access to any of that. So given, given what he said and like how I feel about it, like I, I think he is, he definitely has a valid point. I don't know that I would necessarily change my my sideboard configuration of like bestiary encounter spells. I think I would still probably keep it the same because I think spell pierce is way better than negate. But I, I agree that the two kind of clash a little bit. Uh and I, I really like the fact that he was smart enough to pick up on that and that he called me out on it.
1: He just put you on blast right after the game, I like it. Yeah.
0: Anyway, like I, I beat him and he's just like, hey you suck. <laughs> and I'm just like this kid's gas. I like him a lot.
1: Yeah, I like that move too. Um, I, I would also point out too, though the inclusion of these cards—they're not designed to be your plan against tokens, right? They're like kind of this ancillary value that you're picking up on the side, and a card that you intended to play for one matchup, which is okay in another matchup.
0: Right. Um, but my my plan against blue black involves spell and, and bestiary too. Yeah, that's and true. the game the game certainly go long against blue black. So uh, he he definitely has a valid point. That said, you know I'm still not sure that I'm going to change anything because like. Spell Pierce is so good at forcing like a Rogue Refiner through a counterspell or protecting a cub from a Vraska's Contempt, or whatever. Like Spell Pierce is so much better than negate. If I had negate, I wouldn't even bring it in against Blue Black because of the mana investment, and there aren't enough like high priority targets.
1: Yeah, and I think we learned this lesson last season. Um, what was the the one blue mana counter a sorcery spell?
0: Invasive,
1: invasive Surgery, Yeah, we learned the difference between two mana counters and one mana counters last season. And the difference of having Invasive Surgery in the matchups where it was good was just astronomical. The extent to which you're able to develop your board is very dramatically ramped up by the presence of Spell Pierce as opposed to Negate. So I really like Spell Pierce for this tournament as well. I think my list had a split, um, and I didn't have the Supreme Wills. I had Negate instead. So I think I was three Spell Pierce, two Negate. What was your thought on Supreme Will? Did you did you like the card? Do you see any merit to maybe going that route and having both the Spell Pierce and the hard counter in the late game? So
0: Spell Pierce was awesome because I got to bring it in against like green, red aggro and counter their blossoming defense. Uh, I Spell Pierce, Heart of Kieran in top four, which was mm-hmm. gas. Awesome. So Spell Pierce is awesome, awesome, awesome. Supreme Will is it's pretty medium i don't know like i i think i do want something else and i do think the the like counterspell impulse split card is really only good if you have gear hulk because like a lot of the games i was just like holding on to it for dear life to like try and counter a thing because it was like my only counterspell you Mm -hmm. know and there's just like never a point where i would like cash in counter your fumigate for any other card in my deck right so why am I playing the Impulse version of this when I could have like Lookouts Dispersal or something, you know?
1: Yeah, a lot of other options there. I, I get what you're saying. Uh, I passed on Supreme Will myself. Uh, the few times I did play with it, I was, I was never too impressed. But I also recognize the problems that Negate has. I'm not saying a, a strict one-for-one swap is necessarily the answer either. You know, I wanted B-
0: I wanted a card that could counter Scarab God, Gear Hulk, and Fumigate, you know?
1: Yeah, what I was gonna what I was gonna say is that maybe at some point we actually have to consider something like disallow, which is a challenge for the mana to some extent. UU is tough, but if you're into Supreme Will, I could see a metagame where you're into disallow. Again, that may be dependent on having access to Gear Hulk, and it's just not good enough in the absence. Um, I don't know though. I, I think I I do think I want to explore the ca- the counter magic options available to me a little bit more. I I don't think this is part of the equation that's solved. I think this is something that probably. Honestly, is isn't capable of being solved. It's supposed to stay in flux, uh, depending on the metagame. As it stands right now, Supreme Will might be a card I'd look to get rid of from your list if I was playing tomorrow.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that's reasonable, but I do think that you need some sort of, like, harder Something. counter, potentially. Yep. Um, but yeah, I agree that Disallow is tough on the mana. Like, you could make it work, but it is really difficult on turns where you're trying to develop like a rogue refiner or a whirler virtuoso while also keeping a counterspell open it's just like it's almost impossible to have three blue
1: yeah that's very difficult i wonder if there's a is there a blue green counterspell out there right now that we've just kind of ignored i I doubt it i think of one off the top of my head there usually is a blue green counterspell in the format it's usually not very good god i would love uh,
0: mystic snake
1: yeah, Mystic Snake would be was the first card I thought of. I, oh my god. I am someone who loves Mystic Snake more than most. Uh, one of my favorite decks of all time. Do you remember the Hunting Grounds, Phantom Nashiba, Mystic oh Snake? Oh my god. That deck was horrible. It was almost unplayable, but when it got going, it was so sweet. I love yeah. that deck. I don't yeah, know you, who... Someone won a GP with it, I think. Um, I don't you're remember. You're
0: just in god it. mode when, when yeah. you actually get to do your things, but yeah. yeah.
1: It was kind of like playing EDH before EDH existed, I think. But Yes.
0: Uh, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah.
1: It's funny. I Maybe I like EDH more than I, I think I do when I talk about the decks that I've loved over the history of Magic. And there's stuff like the Phantom Nashiba Hunting Grounds deck. Uh, maybe it's time for me to just become a casual. I'll, I'll pack up my serious bag and just go play EDH. We're going to start a new EDH game podcast next uh, week. Tune in. Hmm, hmm. No, uh, you're not going for that one
0: i i'm gonna i'm gonna say that i'll meet you there and then I, I won't show up and i'll make some excuse but yeah i'll have i don't know who's i'll have sheldon menory show up in in my stead maybe
1: okay yeah i've never actually played a game of edh just so we're clear i, I don't have much to contribute about the format but i played um, some did you enjoy it
0: i've never built my own deck or anything but i played some i don't know it's okay
1: it's just it's just hard when it's not a competitive format for me to take it seriously. I I ask myself why like why am I playing this right now? And That's a really crappy attitude to have. Like you should just play for the love of the game.
0: Right? No, uh, I need I need stakes. It doesn't matter what it me is too. I'm doing. You are
1: who you are. You, you can't you know you can't change your stripes. So. All right. So what
0: else what else should we do with the sideboard? Like I I don't think the go big plan is particularly good. Like especially now that everyone has essence scatter right. Like I think. PGO expected the control deck to be approach. They expected Sam to trick us into playing tokens, which is why they had two disenchants. And they had Essence Scatter, which now makes the gear Hulk plan post-board way worse, right? Like, I think it's time to just let that stuff go.
1: I agree. I, I was ready to let the gear Hulk go plan go very early on. Um, a card that you didn't play, which saw some play from the Genesis list, was Nissa, Steward of Elements. Do you have yeah. any interest in that card?
0: Not really. I, I think it still has the same problem as Chandra where, you know, they have cast outs and they have Contempts. And this is a little bit better because it's easier to get under counterspells and maybe you can protect it from contempt. Uh, it's it, it represents like 10 flying haste damage against tokens, which I like. Like, that might be the sort of card that is just better than Appetite for the Unnatural. Like, rather than trying to be super mm. reactive, you actually just kill them,
1: you that's know? so Very good point. I, I think that's... Pr- that- it wouldn't surprise me if that was a huge point of their consideration when they included Nyssa's Steward of Elements, because I think that's a great use for the card. Yeah, but they um, also had Slice and Twain, you
0: know? So I would probably just get rid of the distant chance and play the Nissas.
1: Play the Nyssa, yeah, get a little value elsewhere. And- I- I'm with that. I, I couldn't even... Slice and Twain I, is a card I love, but I really can't fathom playing that against Tokens when I, I already talked about Appetite being a cost that was a little bit too much to bear. Going to four mana, you know, I, I love that value, but uh, I don't think I can stomach that against yeah. Tokens decks.
0: Yeah, I, I hate it. Four mana is just so much. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I could see a world where you cut maybe scavenger Chandra's Defeat, one Appetite, maybe figure out a better thing for Supreme Will. Uh, Bestiary could become Nyssa, and then you you have, like, these cheap counterspells and Nissa's to finish the game. And, like, Nissa can also be, like, you know, this card advantage like, long game engine type thing uh, while also, like, setting up your draws with a scribe. But it also can just be, like, fireball you for 10, which I mm-hmm. like.
1: Yeah, I see its applications. It's honestly not a card that on its face I've been impressed with over its time in Standard You know, I can only think of a few decks that I've ever played it in, and and it was almost always underwhelming. But I really like the 10 haste damage in this context, and, you know, I think we're playing a lot of games that are going to go that long where 10 haste damage uh, is actually going to get the job done, which kind of hasn't been the case for a lot of the time that Nyssa has been in Standard. Yeah. Uh, But as things change, this this could be a good week for Nyssa.
0: Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if you get to play games against Black Blue where they have... Uh, like essence scatters in their hand, right? And you get to like resolve a and just kill them. That that actually sounds pretty appealing.
1: One last card I saw mentioned, just kind of in passing, uh, Reed mentioned it actually, was Sorcerer's Spyglass. Does Sorcerer's Spyglass do anything for you out of your team or sideboard?
0: It's okay. Uh, I, like, I think that... If I had one, I would certainly bring it in against blue-black, and I would bring it in against tokens also. I think it is actually really good against blue-black, but probably not very good against tokens.
1: Cleans up a lot of very difficult cards to answer right now. Um, obviously does so. Not super... I don't know if efficient efficiently is the right word. Not super cleanly, I guess. I know I said cleans up, but it, it doesn't clean up cleanly. Um, it just kind of mitigates the value of a lot of cards. But it was something that was on my radar after Reed mentioned it. I, I do think it merits a try, especially if something like Mardu starts seeing more play. I, I think it's also very good there.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, we we talked uh, about playing one in our blue-black sideboard, but yeah, uh, I mean, like potentially stopping Ascanta or stopping Scarab God are certainly things that teamers interested in because those are the two cards that you lose to.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and you know, Blueback doesn't present that many problems. It presents them well. It protects them well. It extends the game very well but there's only a couple things you have to answer out of the blue black deck and you're probably in good shape so Spyglass does a good job of that
0: yeah essence scatter was good until they had as and now they can just play this game where they outdraw you and they never have to expose a thing to essence scatter uh and, and spyglass is probably a little too reactive for my taste like you could preemptively play it on scarab god if they don't have a search and like you get to look at their hand and stuff cool and obviously they might not have a scarab god in their hand but like they're going to play when they have nine mana. So you're going to have to do it like preemptively, which kind of sucks. I, I think having something proactive in that spot, like Nissa might just be better rather than trying to answer their Escanta or their Scarab God. You just try and kill them. You know, that's generally a, a better plan, but I could see playing yeah. one.
1: It, it's not, not the worst card in the world. That's something that we seem to get to a lot when we're talking about potential options out of Teamur, and we keep coming back to it. Uh, the proactive versus reactive plan. And I do think Timur... Really wants to stay proactive in most cases. It makes um, all
0: your cards better.
1: Yeah, it really does. Yeah, I, I I agree with your assessment. I am going to I'm going to pass on Spyglass for now. I'll keep it in mind if the metagame changes in a certain way. Also, real quick, I just want to mention having now uh, I I played a build of approach that maximized search. That is a messed up Magic card, and it's going to remain a messed up Magic card for its entire time in Standard. I, I think probably. If I could go back and redo my rankings, uh, I would probably have search number one. That card is really busted.
0: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I would redo my rankings by a lot also.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's probably only the starting point of redoing rankings. But yeah, search would, would be at the top of my list at this point.
0: Yep. Yeah, we figured that out pretty quick. Testing for worlds. Pretty happy that we did.
1: And I don't think we've seen that card's final evolution either. I, I think there's there's more to come for search search for Askaunta. We'll, oh, it's we'll it, it it's just one of the saying. cards,
0: one of the many cards that like gets better the more cards exist too. It's like there are going to be more ways to fill your graveyard and more things that take advantage of an extra land and like more non-creature spells to find. Like I'm I'm also very interested. Like my article that I'm writing this week is going to be about search and modern, which is not anything new, but I have some new angles that I'm pretty excited about.
1: Great. I'm looking forward to seeing those. I just started talking. My friend's about to play his first pro tour. It will be the modern pro tour. And so he's already, you know, he's doing the prep six months out because he's so excited for it. And I, I started brainstorming with him about modern a little bit. So Cool.
0: This is Dredge Guy?
1: This is Dredge Guy. Yep. Nice. All right. Well, we're well over an hour, I think. A lot to say about teamer. I don't even know if we went as in depth as we had initially. No, no, and, we but... didn't. I mean, like, we can talk about
0: like how to sideboard in matchups and like what's your plan and all this stuff, but it is generally take take like a proactive stance if possible. Do not be super reactive. Do not ever try to become like a full control deck, because I don't think that's a very good plan. And and that's about it. Just attack people with dragons and stuff. Play play your random hodgepodge of creatures that do different things, like Sometimes you'll build a Tarmogoyf with Longtusk Cub. Sometimes you'll make 4th Opters with Warlord Virtuoso. Sometimes you'll make a 10-power Hydra. You know, you're going to play different games, which I guess is kind of cool. I guess that's a thing that I never really thought about with this
1: deck. Yeah, it's a good selling point for it being the best deck, is that the games often look very different. I mean, I think the bad games still feel pretty bad, but you're never going to eliminate bad games from standard. It's just not possible. Um, There's a lot of inherent variance in the format. So, uh Live with it. Enjoy having a pretty good villain to take shots at right now. I think the format's in a pretty healthy place and uh, it it remains interesting from week to week.
0: I think the PT is going to feature like a lot of mid-range decks and decks that are specifically preying on Teamer.
1: I'm super curious. I think this is a really interesting pro tour. I think having a very defined metagame at this stage could lead to a, a great viewing event. I don't know how excited you are as a player right now, how your preparation is shaping up, what you think you want to target. I think if I was qualified right now i i don't really know where i would start because it kind of feels like the really good broken stuff from the new set has been discovered we know what's out there in ixalan is there going to be new archetypes that show up at world or excuse me the pro tour i don't know i think we might just see some really refined lists and maybe some some list comes back from the past to uh to haunt team or energy players that's kind of my prediction marionette
0: master is badass
1: uh, that deck we've talked about it before. It has legs. I don't think the best list has been found.
0: Treasure map is dope. That's all Treasure I know. It's
1: good. Search is good. A lot of good cards. And let's not forget our friend Spell Swindle. The better mana drain. Oh man. Uh, um, just just dominating the format.
0: Dude, Spell Swindle is so good in control mirrors. Sam Sam got beat up real bad uh, in worlds testing by like Treasure Map, Marionette Master, Spell Swindle. It was great.
1: What about that card in the team Energy sideboard? as your counter spell?
0: Ugh, God, that's so much mana. If you had like if you had Avicen or something, then sure, but
1: Yeah, a way to get, use the mana. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You need to be able to play at instant speed for that to really get the job done. But man, magical Christmas land with that card is sweet. You could you could build some real nice scenarios in your head if you go deep enough.
0: Gear hulk that thing, whatever. Yeah. Alright. Well, uh, we went in depth on teamer. I, I hope I hope this was good enough. There are some things that we did not get to, but uh, could potentially save it for next
1: week. I don't know. Maybe. We'll see what reaction's like if people are begging for more Teamer. You know, we give the people what they want on the game podcast. So, uh, you know, hit us up in the the Patreon group or the, the Discord and let us know. And we try to listen the best we can. Hopefully you guys uh, dig this Teamer deep dive.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know what we should do next week is probably talk about Modern.
1: I could talk Modern. I, I, like I said, I'm getting my my toes back into the modern pool. I think that would be a a great thing to talk about.
0: Cool. All right. I have some ideas. Nice. I look forward
1: to it. All right.
0: That's game.